Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Well, we are started. We started last week a brand new teaching series called In Jesus' Own Words. And the idea is, you know, we've spent over the last couple of years at Life Journey some time going through, you know, Colossians, let's see what, Hebrews, uh, Galatians, uh, what are some other things we've gone through, Ephesians. Uh, we've gone through a lot of the teaching of the apostles, which has taught us very plainly that Christ Jesus now lives where? In us. That we've been cleansed. Jesus, we say it often, he cleaned house and he moved in. And so we believe very, very firmly that Jesus lives in us. And that's great. But here's where we want to move into a season of in our church. It's one thing to know that Jesus lives in you. And that's fantastic. We want to know that. We, We need to know that. But it's another thing to know the Jesus who now lives in you. You see the difference there? It's great to know that he lives in us, but we, if we're not careful, we can get distracted from the, the person himself who lives in us. We could be so uh, passionate and rightly about the doctrine of, of, of the new covenant, about the doctrine of grace and what he's done for us, but if we're not careful, we replace a relationship with a person with a bunch of awesomely true facts about Jesus. So we don't want to just know that he lives in us. We want to know him who lives in us. Does that make sense? Where I come from, this means yes. This means no. All right, we good? All right, awesome. So last week, as Craig kind of already alluded to, we started this off in kind of a unique way. Uh, We're looking at the words of Jesus in Jesus's own words. We want to get to know Jesus in his own words. And we saw Colossians 1, it says that, the, the creation was created by Jesus. And so if you weren't here with us, uh, I encourage you to check out the podcast, but very, very, very quickly, we saw, we went back to Genesis chapter one and we saw that the very voice that rang out over in eternity past, breaking the silence of eternity past, according to the apostle Paul, was the voice of God, the son, when he said, let there be, for all things were created by Jesus. And so we saw on day one that when Jesus created light out of darkness, which I love our logo, it's this creation of light out of nothing in the darkness. When Jesus said, let there be light, light flooded into darkness. And that was a picture we said of the birth of Christ that would happen thousands of years later when the light of the world would burst forth into the darkness of this world of sin. And then on day two, Jesus created a separation of this water, the, the clouds above and the water below. We talked about last week, that's a picture of the separation of the father and his holiness and the sinfulness of man. And in between those two things, God, Jesus created sky, a picture 
of the separation of God and man and on a Roman cross suspended in the sky, the son of man died to reconcile that which had been separated. On day three, we saw that from the infertile waters below, up sprung, up came fertile land that was producing all sorts of life. A picture on day three of the Christ who would rise from the dead. A life-giving spirit being raised from the dead so that all who trust in him would now have life. On day four, we talked about last week how the creation changed, uh, the focus changed from below to now above. He created the sun, the moon, the stars. A picture of how the ascended Christ, now ruling and reigning in the kingdom of heaven, our eyes are to slowly but surely over a lifetime shift from being so consumed by this world of darkness to now beholding a whole other kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which we'll see Jesus teaching now lives where? It exists in us. The kingdom, behold, is now in you. On day five, we saw how Jesus fish to live in the waters and birds to soar in the air. Very peculiar. We talked about how that's a picture, a picture of how the bride of Christ enters into this world through the womb of of our mother, the water breaking of our mom. My mom's right over here, 36 years ago, that happened. And out comes a baby born of the water, but we must be born of the spirit. We must now soar as wings of eagles in a whole other realm in order to be the kingdom of heaven. As Paul says in Colossians 1, for you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, like a big crane operator. You now are in the kingdom of the beloved son. Day five, uh, day six of creation, we saw God creating man. He creates man. And all of the animals were brought before Adam and nothing was suitable for Adam. And so God pulled another out of Adam, one that would be suitable. The one became two, so that in a marriage covenant, the two become one. A picture, a foreshadowing, that because of sinfulness, no man is suitable to be the bride of Christ. And so what did God do? He has now, through a new creation, birthed from his own loins, the very spirit of God, we've been born, a new creation, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, now suitable as a bride for Christ. And then on day seven, we saw that Jesus rested from all this work. Why? Because the work was finished. It was complete. No more work to do because the creation was complete. A picture, as John t- spoke about in our, in our sharing time, have, we now are in that realm. We're now in that place of rest because we have been born again. The work is finished. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we started last week at the very, very beginning, Genesis 1, seeing the words of Jesus. By seeing his words, we actually get to learn about him. Well, we're, we, we could keep going through the Old Testament and see a lot of similar ways, building arguments of how these are the words of Jesus, revealing the person of Jesus. But we're going to fast forward to, to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, we're going to look at Jesus' own words, trying to get to know Jesus a little bit in his own words, as he comes to, the, to John, the, the, um, the baptizer, John the Baptist, to be baptized by John. Baptism is uh, 
It just simply means to, to dip something in something else or to submerge something into something else. The word baptism really didn't start off with uh, as a religious word. Today, you use the word baptism. It's, I mean, it is loaded with religious connotation. You know, you talk about, you know, immersion, sprinkling, you know, babies, adults. Like, what is it all about? It's all a religious idea. But originally, it's just, it just, it's just a word that means to submerge something into something else. You know how when you make, you know, dinner and you got the pots and the pans, that can't fit into the dishwasher. Okay, when I grow up, I want to make a dishwasher that everything can go in. Um, but you know those ones, those pots and pans? And so you have to fill up the sink. You put the little, you know, the soap in. I'll explain to the guys later how it works. But then you submerge, you put the pot into the water. You baptize your pans. That's all it means. It means to take something and to immerse it, to dip it in something else. Growing up, I was a fan, for some reason, of the whole Titanic deal. Uh, when I was like five or six, you know, they, they discovered it. And, and all the, the documentaries that came out, you know, since, and of course the movie, um, <clears throat> which it's, it's based on a true story. It really is. Um, the Titanic is real. Um, well, the Titanic, guess what? It's baptized in the North Atlantic. It just simply means it has it's submerged. It's down there. It is totally immersed in the ocean. So the word baptism in our ear, it has all sorts of religious connotations, but it just simply means to dip or immerse or to, to be placed in something else. You take one thing and you place it into something else. That's baptism. That's baptizing something. Nothing religious about it. It's just, that's just what it means. But of course, there is all sorts of religious connotation and religious context with the word baptism. In the Old Testament, there's all sorts of connotation with baptism. In Jewish history, they would take someone and they would cleanse them. They'd have these ceremonial washings where they repeatedly, over and over and over, they would wash somebody in order to ceremonially clean them of some sort of filth or disease or sin or whatever. A great example is uh, this guy named Naaman. If your name is Naaman, that's all. Hi, my name is Naaman. That just sounds weird to me. I don't know. But his name is actually Naaman. He comes in and he goes down and he's got leprosy. He's got skin diseases. And he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River. That idea, dip, now this is Hebrew. It's not Greek, so it's not the word baptize. But this, this is the idea of baptism. He dipped himself. He dunked himself into the Jordan River seven times to cleanse himself of this filth, this sin. And so throughout the Old Testament, you have this context, this idea of over and over repeated ceremonial washings that, 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 that are done over and over continuously that, that temporarily wash somebody of their filth, of their sin. Now, that's all great. It's all good. But what happens as soon as you come up out of the little ceremonial uh, baptism thing and you've now sinned again? Well, I guess back in you go. It's very similar to the Old Testament sacrificial system. This washing, this, this bath, the, the being dunked in water, it, it's not permanent. It, it just over and over, time and time again. In fact, when Gentiles would become Jews, they would baptize them in, in, the, in this water, symbolizing the washing away of all the filth of their Jewish, I mean, their Gentile life. And so now we get to Jesus coming to get baptized by John in Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, trick question. So I warn you. Are we in the New Testament, the New Covenant? 
Or are we still in the old covenant in Matthew chapter 3? Old covenant. That's exactly right. When did the new covenant, when did the new will, the New Testament begin? The death of Jesus. For no covenant, no will goes into effect until the death of the one who makes it. All right? So Jesus hadn't died yet. He's come to get baptized. So John the Baptist has been sent by by God to baptize people in the Jordan River. He was revealing to them their sin and showing them their need to be cleansed from from their sins. And so people are coming to John the Baptist. They're getting washed. They're getting dunked as a ceremony of the Old Testament, very similar to the Old Testament concept of over and over repeated washing of sins. Does this washing, does this baptism that John is doing, does it, does it actually take away their sins? Of course not. Of course not. But it's a symbol, it's a picture that they've been doing for generations of washing to be ceremonially clean for some sort of activity. And so John's whole point was to raise the awareness of sin and to point them towards the Messiah who would actually take away all their sins. Now, I'm going to make an assumption about you this morning. I know this is not fair, perhaps. I know many of you, some of you have met, you know, here recently, so I don't know everything about any of you. But I'm going to make an assumption about all of us. I assume you, like me, have had some time in your life when this was your view of Christianity. You were taught somewhere, somehow, that when you come to Jesus, he washes you. But then, when you sin... You get dirty again, and you need to get more what? Washing. It's like the shampoo bottle. Wash, rinse, repeat as necessary. I'm making the assumption that many of you, maybe all of us at some point in time, had that understanding, that view of Christianity. And it's because of this view of Christianity, you you feel unworthy. You feel incompatible. You feel unsuitable with God. You feel dirty and distant when you sin. You feel like you need to do all sorts of stuff to get back to being clean. You feel as though you need more forgiveness. You feel as though you need to pay God back somehow. You feel obligated to do something in order to restore the purity of what you were once given. You feel like you need to be washed over and over and over again. This endless cycle is demoralizing. You feel clean, you do something stupid, you're dirty, and you need to do something to get clean again, and then you get dirty again over and over the cycle goes. And what we're going to see today, when Jesus comes to get baptized, when he shows up on the scene some three and a half, to begin this three and a half years of his ministry, of all the things that he could have kicked off his ministry, all the things he could have launched his ministry with, he chose to launch it by being baptized. He not only gets baptized, but he totally changes the picture. He totally changes the picture of what baptism has always been. This idea of continual washing, that's what it always had been, that's what John was doing, to now a totally different picture, a picture of once and for all washing. Because now the Baptism is no longer a picture of continual washings over and over, but now it's a picture we'll talk about being death, burial, and resurrection of a whole new life. So in order to do this, 
We're going to start at the end. We're going to start after Jesus is baptized, and we'll see what John the Baptist says about it, and then we'll go back to the beginning and see how he actually gets baptized, and hopefully it makes some sense. So let's go to the next slide. I think it's uh, John chapter 1. So Jesus has already been baptized, and it says this. The next day he, this is John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, we'll come back to this verse later on. But this is after Jesus has been baptized. Verse 30. This is he, this is the one on on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Quick trivia, uh, John the Baptist was some six months older than Jesus, but yet John the Baptist says that Jesus existed before him. It's pretty cool because it means he's showing that Jesus is the eternal God that's now become flesh. Verse 31, he says, I did not recognize him But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. I think what John is saying is like, I did not know. I didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. I didn't know it. But in order to reveal him, God gave me this mission of baptizing people in water. Verse 32, John says, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he, the spirit, remained on Jesus. I did not recognize him. But he who sent me, talking about the Father, he who sent me to baptize in water said to me. So, so this, is, this is the sign of who the Messiah is going to be. He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I myself, John says, I've testified and I've seen that this is the Son of God. So here's the picture real quickly. God sends John out to baptize. And God says, John, here's how you'll know who the Messiah is. You just dunk people. You just dunk them. You dunk them. And then when you're dunking somebody and the Spirit of God comes and rests upon him, that's how you'll know who the Messiah is. We all got that? That's very important to see. If we don't see that, it's not going to make sense here in a second. Couldn't God have marked the entrance of the Messiah in some other way? I and mean, this is kind of peculiar, isn't it? I mean, couldn't it, God had like etched on a stone tablet like a Dear John letter, you know? Like, Dear John, you know Jesus, your cousin? He's the one, and like just drop it in front of him. It's kind of peculiar. Why in the world does he do it this way through baptism? Why this dramatic way? Now, remember, old covenant baptism is this picture of washing over and over and over again. Nothing lasting, just a picture of something that has to be done over and over. I've already said baptism is much like the Old Testament sacrificial system, repeated over and over. Well, as you can imagine, if you've been at Life Journey for a while, God had every desire to change this picture. No longer did God want a picture of continual washing of sins. God wanted a new picture, a picture of once and for all finished, done, putting away of sins. So let's go back to Matthew 3. Now we're picking up before Jesus is baptized. So that that was after. John is saying, this is how I know it was Jesus because God told me the Spirit would come upon the one. The Spirit came upon this guy. He's the one. So now we'll go back to before all that happened to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. And Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John. 
to be baptized by him. You see how now we're before Jesus' baptism now? But John, verse 14, tried to prevent him saying, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. And you come to me. All right, here's another trick question. Trick question, who's paying attention? Why does John the Baptist push Jesus back and refuse him from being baptized at first? Is it because John knows that Jesus is the Messiah? No. Why? How can we say no to that? Because what hasn't yet come down? The Spirit hasn't come down yet. So John doesn't know that Jesus is the, the Messiah. So why does John the Baptist say, no, 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 Jesus, <laughs> look, I, I'm not gonna bat- you need to baptize me. I don't need to baptize you. Why? Because remember, John and Jesus were what? Cousins. They knew each other. John knew Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. And do you think that John ever saw Jesus sin? No, he never saw him sin. And remember, John is preaching a baptism of continual washing of sins, repenting of sins to look towards the Messiah. And John's like, wait a second, Jesus. Why are you coming? To you? I've never even seen you. I know you. You've never, ever sinned. At the family reunion, I mean, had Jesus ever taken the boys behind the barn, smoke, share dirty jokes with them? No, he had never done that. I'm sure John the Baptist had done that, though. He was eating locusts behind the barn. He was wearing all sorts of camel hair or something. I don't know. But John knew Jesus, and John knew the impeccable character of Jesus, and he knew there was no reason for Jesus to be baptized for the washing of sins because he'd never seen Jesus. But Jesus, verse 15, this is so rad, but Jesus answering said to him, permit it, let it happen at this time. I love that. For in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Man, that's so loaded. We're gonna try to unpack that a little bit. And then he, John the Baptist, permitted him to be baptized. I hear Jesus saying something like this. John, look, I understand it. You don't get it. I understand, but you're gonna have to trust me on this. Baptize me right now. I love that. Now is the time. I see Jesus. He's saying, man, I have looked forward towards this day since eternity past. Now is the time. Today is the day to change this whole picture of baptism from a continual washing to something totally new. Right now, we are going to change everything. See how it says us? No longer will there be a continual washing of sins over and over, but we are going to do something that actually makes people righteous once and for all. I love that. I love that. Jesus's baptism is something totally different from the Old Testament baptism, John's baptism. It's night and day difference. But who is this us? When I was reading this, I was just like, well, you know, maybe it's Jesus and John. It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then I got to thinking, Steve, what is John the Baptist doing contributing to all righteousness? So maybe it is Jesus and John is the us, but I'm gonna submit to you based on the next two verses that the us isn't Jesus and John. Look at the next verse. After being baptized, that is after being submerged into the water, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and John saw the spirit 
of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. That just simply means resting on him, remaining on him. So it's my opinion. I could be wrong, but I think the us is not John and Jesus. I think the us is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who now has ushered in everlasting righteousness, as he just said. Jesus' baptism resulted in the indwelling reality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had never, ever come into a man to dwell within a man, ever. Sure, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had come upon men, you know, and, and, and then left men and women, but it never had the Holy Spirit come in to dwell within a man. Why? Because man had always still been dirty. No matter how many times they washed, no matter how many times they went to the temple, they had been baptized in symbolic ritual cleansing, but they still had a dirty, wicked, sin-filled heart. And it wasn't until a whole new system, a whole new baptism, no longer John's baptism, but now Jesus' baptism, that the Holy Spirit can actually come in. Why? Because Jesus is going to do a work three years later that actually takes away the sin of the world. But the us is not just Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Look at this next verse, verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said. So you got Jesus the Son, God the Son in the water. You got God the Son, uh, the Spirit descending and resting upon him. And now you've got another voice, the voice out of the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So now you have the father, the father contributing, the father declaring his pleasure in the son. If you're like me, you read this and you say, well, why is the father pleased with the son? What has the son done that he's pleased with? Well, the son is beginning a journey. He's beginning, this is the first day of what we call his public ministry that's ultimately going to culminate on the cross where Jesus is going to die, he's gonna be buried, and he's gonna be raised from the dead. And in doing this, Jesus is not simply going to wash away sins until you sin again, and then you got to wash them away again. That's old covenant washing. Jesus is doing something totally new, something totally different. He is going to once and for all wash away, take away the sin of the world. So here's what I'm saying. Jesus' baptism wasn't just about the washing of sins. Jesus' baptism is about death, burial, and resurrection. And I assume that many of us are kind of familiar with this idea because, you know, we've you know, heard this before. But 2,000 years ago, the Jews who were seeing this, who were witnessing this, John himself, they had no clue about a once and for all sort of putting away of sins. And this is the greatest scheme, I think, of the devil is to get us to, to blind us from the truth that Jesus hasn't just washed our past sins away and now we sin again and we need to get more washing and he sin again and get more washing. He wants us to see that as opposed to the truth that Jesus has in his baptism, in his death, burial, and resurrection has given us total freedom, total forgiveness of all of our sins. So here's the invitation I hear of the Holy Spirit. He says, see that Jesus didn't simply wash you in some sort of temporal way as a fulfillment of John's baptism. 
If you've come to Christ, you haven't just simply been washed of your prior sins. That's old covenant washing. Jesus did something so much more. He changed baptism to reflect not a temporal washing, but he changed it to reflect something that he actually has done to you. And we're going to see these three things that he's done to you. First, he crucified you. You're dead. (laughs) And aren't you glad that the old is gone and the new has come? Paul, writing about this in Romans 6, he says, don't you know that those of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? That is, don't you know that those who have been submerged, placed into Jesus have been submerged and placed into his death to which the vast majority, maybe not of us, but of Christianity would say, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, Paul. He Paul it, don't you know? To which we say, I didn't know that. I've heard the lingo, but I didn't really know what that means. What it means is that your old man is dead, not just washed temporarily, but dead. Paul goes on to say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified. Crucifixion was not, you know, hey, let's wash a little bit of the wrongs off of the criminals. Crucifixion was what? Death, death. The devil doesn't want you to see that you died. You haven't just been washed a little bit. They need washing some more. You died. But he not only crucified you, we also see in Colossians 2 that he buried you. Remember? He, he buried you. He says, Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism. So when you were placed into Christ, you were placed not just into his death, but you were also placed into his burial. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it means that not only are you dead, but the old man is gone. The old man is gone. The writer of the Psalms talks about how our sin, the idea of the old sin man, he is removed from us as far as the east is from the west. When we bury a loved one, we don't expect them to come up out of the ground. And we make sure through this thing of embalming that they're not gonna come up out of the ground. So the old man's not just dead and just kind of lingering you know, over in the living room. He's been buried. He's dead and gone. But we know what happens next. The baptism, when you've been placed into Jesus, you die. You are buried. The old man is buried but then you are raised anew. Now this new life that we talk about a life journey and the apostles talk about, this isn't the old man that was crucified and put down into the ground and then kind of, you know, spit polish, you know, and then raised back up anew. This isn't the old man coming back as kind of a better man. The word new actually means new of a whole different type, a whole different type. Not like the old, a whole different type. The old man was created in the image of Adam. The new man created in the image of Christ Jesus himself. You're new, you're new. And that verse goes on to say, Colossians 2.12, so you're buried with him in baptism, in which also, that same baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so the reason that the Holy Spirit could never come upon anyone in John's baptism was because that was just a picture of of washing away sins over and over and over. The people are still dirty. 
They were still dead in their sins. They were still in the flesh. They were still in Adam. But Jesus' baptism is totally different. The Holy Spirit descended into Jesus. And this shows that Jesus' baptism isn't just simply about washing away past sins, but it's something so much more. It's a picture of the ending of the old man and the eternal cleansing of a whole new life, a whole new creation. A great example of this is in Acts chapter 18 and Acts 19. Read it for yourself when you get home this afternoon. It's pretty powerful. Paul comes across some people in Acts 19 who are teaching about Jesus, but they were teaching about Jesus with a mixture combining Jesus's message with John's baptism. So they were teaching Christianity as, hey, Jesus has died for your sins, but it was mixed with this idea of a temporal washing, John's baptism. And so you need to be washed some more and washed some more. And Paul asks them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first heard this? And they said, Holy Spirit? No. We don't know of any Holy Spirit. They said, all we know about is John's baptism. A picture of what? Just coming back to the well and getting washed over and over and over. A very common religious scene in America today, in the world today. And so Paul, he explains to them what the truth of Jesus is, what Jesus is baptism about, that you've actually died, you've buried, raised a new creation. And they didn't know, they were just ignorant. And they said, wow, really? And as soon as they believed, guess what they were given? Somebody tell us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into them because they believed the right message. This is very, very important. So I know what you might be thinking because I was thinking this. Walt, how do you know that Jesus' baptism is this monumental shift, this monumental shift from how sins are treated, how sins are, are viewed, from being just simply washed over and over and over to this new view, this new thing that Jesus had come to do to actually take away sins? Well, don't take my word for it. Don't ever. Let's just see what John the Baptist says about it. Remember, John is the one who is baptizing people in this way of just simply washing for sins, the way that had been done for years and years. John the Baptist himself, he testifies, I told you we'd come back to this verse, behold, the Lamb of God, who repeatedly over and over, every time you need it because you sin every day, will wash your sins over and over and over. Is that what he says? <laughs> Not at all. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it's a whole different picture. It's not just simply washings over and over. It is the taking away of our sins. Here's our journey marker. We're going to open the floor for some discussion if you got any. Our journey marker is just kind of how do we kind of combine this now into one little thought Jesus' baptism, it shows us something. It shows us that he has no interest in continuous washings. Jesus has no interest in continuous washings over and over and over. He has no interest in that. That's the old covenant. That was all shadows and types of something that would come. Jesus' baptism shows us that he came to take away our sin once and for all. So here's the question for you. Make this applicable, get our gears turning so we can maybe have some discussion if you guys want to. Do you see Christianity? 
through the lens of John's baptism, you know, old covenant baptism of just washings over and over of your sins? Or do you see Christianity through the lens of Jesus's baptism? Do you see yourself as having been washed of your past sins? This is where I was for most of my life. My past sins have been washed, but every time I need, every time I do another sin, well, now that one needs to be washed and, you know, then another one and so forth. Or do you see yourself as being washed completely? Your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. Because you see that you died. You were buried with Christ. And that you were raised a whole new creation. One baptism is true baptism. One baptism, only one baptism fulfills all righteousness. And it's Jesus's. So when we trust in Christ, we are placed, we are immersed, we are submerged into Christ Jesus. And his death becomes ours, his burial becomes ours, and his resurrected life becomes ours. It's not about when you got into some water. Water is important. As I said earlier, we're going to baptize on the 25th. But water is a testimony. It's a, it's, a, it's a testimony saying, this happened to me. You've seen baptism, maybe here at Life Journey. You'll see it on the 25th. A person is sitting there, and we say, now that you've trusted Christ, the old you has died. And what do you do with dead things? You bury it. And we put that, old, that picture, we put that person under the water, a picture of the death and the burial of the old man. But we don't leave them there. <laughs> uh, we get a lawsuit or something. We bring them up out of the water because the gospel isn't just the death and the burial of you, but it's the resurrection of a whole new life. Join now to Christ Jesus himself. So water is important. I mean, we do it, but it's a testimony of what has already happened the moment you first started trusting Jesus. So if you've trusted Jesus, whether you realize it or not, you've been placed, you've been baptized into Christ Jesus. If you want to testify that to the church and to our community, and you want to get baptized on the 25th in water to say, hey, this is what happened to me. Hey, let me know. We'd love for you to be baptized. But it's not water that washes your sins away. It's Jesus once and for all. So in Jesus's own words, we see this morning that he's changed the game. He's changed the picture. He's changed what baptism is a picture of, not washings over and over, but he's changed it to now it's once and for all, death, burial, and a whole new life, resurrected life. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.